Welcome to the Buick Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Sheldon Marion, and on this podcast, we dive deep into the outdoors. We discuss hunting and fishing techniques, give you tips and tricks, tell stories, and everything in between to help you enjoy the outdoors. This podcast is brought to you by Northbound Gear. Northbound Gear makes some of the best affordable outdoor gear on the market today. I have all of their pants, their tactical jacket, and the Apex jacket. I can't say anything but good things about their clothing, and I wear this stuff daily. I just put the Adventure water-resistant pants and the Apex waterproof jacket to the test on my latest overnight ice fishing trip, where the wind chill made the temperature drop down to minus 41, and it kept me warm and dry. If you want to check out their lineup of clothing and accessories, head over to northboundgear.co and use my promo code SHELDON15 at checkout to receive 15% off your order. That's northboundgear.co and use my promo code SHELDON, the number 1, and the number 5 at checkout to save 15% off your order. Hey everyone, welcome back to another Buick Outdoors podcast. If you're new here, I'm your host Sheldon Marion, and on this episode I think I'm going to be talking uh, mainly about ice fishing, how we're getting into the winter months here now. So uh, ice fishing season is definitely upon us. Uh, I've been out already. We did a overnight trip out of Ingle Lake with me and my brother. Uh, caught quite a few fish. Well, not quite a few, but we caught enough to keep a smile on our faces anyways. We had a pretty good trip out there. And uh, basically what I want to talk about is just like all of the sorts of different gear and gadgets and stuff uh, people can use these days. Uh, you know, tents, augers hooks, rods, tip-ups, the electronics, uh, basically kind of everything and anything that goes along with ice fishing these days. Uh, and I want to start off uh, just with tents. Uh, over the last couple of years, tents have really picked up. Uh, I know beforehand we had some tarps uh, once in a while that we would set up. Basically, we would drill holes about halfway through the ice put up sticks, pack them in with the ice, maybe put in a little bit of water, and then uh, pretty well string out a tarp uh, around the sticks. And when it was just a windbreaker kind of a thing. Uh, so it made the days a little bit better. Uh, but now with all these fancy tarps, or not tarps, jeepers, all these new fancy tents that we're getting, uh, it has been a, a huge game changer. Uh, with tents there's a lot that kind of goes into picking them it's kind of the same thing with every other piece of equipment really uh you know how often do you go do you actually need it how many people go with you uh, how sophisticated you want to be how much money you want to spend how much money you can spend uh and then with tents there's kind of like insulated versus uninsulated uh the weight, the price difference, also the size of tents, uh, how many people are going with you, uh, how often do you even really go and do you necessarily need a tent? Uh, if you're one of those people that really only go maybe once or twice a year, do you really need a tent? Uh, for me, I would honestly almost say no, unless you actually have the money to spend. Uh, even the cheaper ones, they're still going to run you a couple hundred bucks. Uh, the more expensive ones, I've seen them up around like $1,200. Uh, so, I mean, really, it, it kind of depends on your comfort level, really. Uh, for me, when it's like minus five and the sun is shining, I don't put up my tents. You know, it's a beautiful day. Let the dogs run around. Uh, there's no need for a tent then. Uh, but unfortunately where we live up here in the north, uh, those kind of minus five, minus 10 sunshine days are very few and far in between. <laughs> so for us, we're typically out in kind of like that minus 15 to minus 30 kind of weather. And up here in the peace region, uh, it seems we, we always have wind. Uh, so for us, our major thing is just having a windbreaker. Uh, like I said before, we used to put up uh, 
poles on the ice and then just tie up a tarp on there just to block the wind so that's mainly why we started using them uh and now you can get heaters and all that kind of stuff and uh yeah it just makes it a lot more enjoyable when you do have a tent but again that's when you're not exactly picky on the days that you go uh if you're a monday to friday kind of a guy and you get every single weekend off yeah, maybe stray away from a tent if you're only going to go a couple of times. Because, I mean, really, you can pick and choose which weekends that you want to go. And then, plus, up here, you know, we can ice fish from November until, pretty well, April. Some some years, April. But for the most part, it'd be like kind of November till March kind of a thing. Uh, but, yeah, uh, going off from there, uh, basically, what size... Are you looking for if it's just you and your dog or just you by yourself you know a, a simple two-person tent is basically all you need uh it doesn't have to be insulated it can be uninsulated uh even if you don't have a tent and you have one of those uh kind of collapsible pop-up hunting blinds i've used those in the past before and man they they work great they're a perfect little dual purpose it kind of they're they're quite a bit thinner but if you're just using it as windbreaker and especially if you have a really small portable propane heater man you're you're set that's really all you need uh but yeah so how often do you go kind of determines whether or not you even need it or not uh, how many people you're gonna go with you and then when it comes to insulated versus uninsulated one of the biggest things you kind of have to worry about is honestly the price uh you can pick up an uninsulated tent for whatever 200 300 where the insulated ones they're starting to run up they kind of start at that 350 400 mark and then they can go up towards you know that 1200 range which is the kind of Oh geez, they're kind of like a five, six person tent that are kind of fold up into a sleigh kind of a thing. But that that's a little more on the fancy side. But even some of the, like the Otter ones, like the Otter Lodge, and uh, oh, there's another one. It's a huge thing, but it's like an eight person tent. But those are like nine hundred dollars. Uh, Eskimo makes some really nice insulated ones and uninsulated. Same thing with uh, Rapala, Outbound, Woods. Uh, basically, they all come in either or. And then you basically just have to kind of pick and choose how much money you want to spend. And also take into consideration the weight. Uh, if you can handle 50 pounds maybe an uninsulated woods arctic six like the one that i just bought maybe that one's for you you can easily fit six people in there you can comfortably fit four uh and it's around 50 pounds but it's also 500 bucks and it's uninsulated or if you're going out with just you and a couple buddies and you can only handle 50 pounds again you know Maybe pick up one of the insulated Eskimo ones. They're around like that $600 mark kind of a thing. Uh, but yeah. And then another big difference with insulated and uninsulated is also uh, the frost accumulation that happens on the inside of the tent. If you're running a uh, heater, uh, especially a propane heater, uh, propane burns extremely wet. Uh, so then what ends up happening is on the inside, right above where your heater is, uh, it won't ice up. But if you have a bigger heater uh, where the heat isn't hitting it directly, there'll be quite a bit of frost accumulating on the roof and along the walls and stuff like that. And uh, for the most part, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, the issue is, though, is if it starts to warm up, that ice starts to melt it drips down the sides if you have if you're like me and you do a couple of overnight trips you really got to watch where your sleeping bag is or bring garbage bags or a tarp that you can put over your sleeping bag and you're caught because a lot of times it'll start to drip and melt and basically it'll just get all your bedding wet which is not something that you want to happen 
when you're sleeping in a tent on a frozen lake in the middle of winter. Uh, even if you do have a heater, that's just a really, really bad idea to do that. <laughs> but yeah, so when it comes to tents, you know, there's a few things, you know, the insulated versus uninsulated, the weight difference, the price, frost accumulating on it, how many people there is, how often do you go. Uh, so, I mean, really, it, it's really hard to kind of say which one you should use because it's all personal preference. Uh, and that's basically going to be the same thing with everything that we talk about today. Everything is personal preference. Uh, for me, I've always used uh, uninsulated tents. And that's simply because I just haven't bought an insulated one yet. Uh, I want to buy one. Uh, this year I bought that uninsulated uh, Woods Arctic 6 just because I was in a bind and I needed a big tent. So I bought that and I bought it because Canadian Tire had it on the shelf. If they had like the Otter uh, Resort, I would have spent the money on that one. And that thing is a massive like eight person insulated tent. Jeez, uh, I think that thing weighs... 70 pounds or something like that it's not a light tent uh i would not <laughs> recommend that for people that are just starting out uh, but if you're going to be going quite a bit and you want to be comfortable have a lot of room for us because it's usually at least two people and two big dogs uh, i also do a lot of overnight tenting in my tents uh, so i got myself a cot sleeping bag dogs tables cookware you know like there's a lot of stuff that goes into my tents where if i was just going out for a day i'd definitely pick something a little smaller but again personal preference i like big tents because i do big trips uh moving on from that uh we can talk about ice augers basically you got your simple hand powered auger and power auger so with the hand augers uh for me, that's all I've used. Uh, but again, I don't go after real big fish for the most part. You know, I have a six inch hand auger and that's all I've ever really needed. Uh, if I was going after like those big pike that we did there last spring, if I was doing that often, absolutely. I'd buy a 10 inch ice auger because those fish do get that big where they, you need a 10 inch hole. To, uh, to bring the fish up but I mean if you've seen some of my fishing videos and stuff like that I don't need a great big 10 inch powered auger to pull up a one pound rainbow out of the ice uh, some days it would be nice because the ice is really thick at times but as long as you keep your blades nice and sharp uh, you know I can drill a hole in 45 seconds maybe through like almost two feet of ice so it's as long as you have good sharp uh blades on it you'll really never have a problem and also six inch that's not eight or ten inch i would never have a 10 inch hand auger that's just idiotic i think that you're going out there to work out instead of fish <laughs> uh but then you know it's just like the tents there's so many different variables that come into effect. Uh, how much money you want to spend. How often do you go. Do you actually need it or not. Uh, what kind of fish you're going after. Again if you're targeting small rainbows and brook trout or something like that. Where like a big fish is going to be maybe 5 pounds. You really don't need anything more than just a, a regular old 6 inch hand auger. With good sharp blades on it. And even when the blades get dull, go out, buy a pack of them for $30. There's two bolts on each blade. Spin the bolts off, put the new blades on, tighten them up, make sure they go on the right way, and you're off to the races. It's not uh, it's not a hard thing to figure out. Uh, so, yeah. So when it comes to the augers, uh, there's also different types of powered augers. Uh, you know, there's gas augers there's now propane augers and the latest and greatest is those battery powered augers uh 
uh, and then again, it's all down to that price point. Uh, so say you are saying, yep, I'm 100% going to get a powered auger because I go often. We cut big holes. We like to go in different parts of the lake and, you know, whatever, drill six or seven holes at each spot and try different depths and stuff like that. All the power to you. Uh, with the gas augers, you know, they've been around for years. Uh, they're pretty reliable, pretty minimal issues as long as you kind of, you know, take care of them, put good gas in it, run good oil. Uh, when it comes to your runtime, I mean, really, if you have a jerry can of gas or two or whatever, as long as you have gas and oil, uh, your runtime is unlimited. You can drill a hundred holes in a day and you don't have anything to worry about. And when it comes down to it, gas compared to the next one, which is propane, it's fairly cheap. Uh, you know, it, you don't need a hundred liters. You know, you're not filling up your, your truck to run a, a gas powered auger. You know, it's a few liters. So really, if you have 20 liters, that'll last you at least a year. I'm assuming I don't, uh, I don't have a gas powered auger, but I can't see it, uh, burning up that much, uh, gas in a season. Even if you do go like every day, uh, when it comes to the propane ones, uh, you know, the propane technology that's been around for years. So I'm assuming it's going to be extremely reliable, just like the gas one. Uh, and it's again, you take care of your equipment, your equipment's going to take care of you. If it doesn't ditch that thing to the curb and get a different one. Uh, but with the propane ones, one of the issues I would see with one of them, uh, is pretty well the expenses to run it. Uh, they run off of the one pound propane bottles, uh, I know apparently there's an attachment that you can get for a 20 pound propane bottle so you can refill those one pound bottles. But uh, for me, I've never personally refilled a one pound propane bottle. And uh, every time that you go into Canadian Tire, you know, you can get like the three pack of propane bottles. But even those three packs are, oh geez, what are they? 20 or 30 bucks or something like that. I think there's twenty dollars, so it's twenty bucks for three pounds of propane. So, uh, you know, your runtime it'll still be quite a while. I mean, I I buy those little one pounder tanks for my lantern too. So I mean, really, what's another bottle of it kind of a thing? Uh, the issue with that though is if you're like me and you have like your buddy heater, you have your lantern, and now you have this propane ice auger, you're going to have to show up with a tote of propane bottles because everything runs on those. Uh, you can mitigate that a little bit, you know, running a tee off your bottle to different hoses, to your buddy heater, and then your lantern kind of a thing. Uh, but again, most people aren't going to want to be packing around big bottles and the tees and hoses and stuff you know it's simple just to have one pound propane bottles uh so i mean uh i don't know i think they are great they they seem to be a really good idea and as for runtime as long as you have those bottles uh, it's just like the gas ones you can run all day long no worries whatsoever the only issue is the cost of the fuel itself uh, I'm pretty sure the cost of the augers, whether it's gas or propane, they're all up there around like that kind of $500 range, give or take a little bit. I haven't really looked into the prices overly too much, uh, the last few years. So take that one with a grain of salt. Uh, but yeah, like as long as you have the propane, uh, yeah, I, I can't see that being an issue. And especially when you're, you're doing like eight to ten inch holes you're gonna want a power auger so uh yeah those uh 
they don't seem to be overly too bad. Uh, and then the the new new style there are the battery operated ones, and for me, I honestly cannot trust those at all up here in the north, and that's only because if we're taking a trip into say Clue Lakes, and somebody grabs a battery powered ice auger, you cannot guarantee me that the battery's not going to be dead or frozen. Uh, by the time we get into the lake, you know, it's a 20-mile sled ride into the lake. I'd rather have a hand auger or a gas auger or uh, a propane auger. Uh, the thing with the, the battery ones, though, uh, if you're kind of sticking close to town, like if you're in Fort St. John and you're going to Inga Lake or Charlie Lake, One Island kind of thing, I really don't see an issue with the battery powered ones uh with me you know when i do like an overnight trip if i had a battery powered one you know my truck doesn't stay running all day uh the heater in the tent doesn't stay running all day things freeze up and all that stuff there's just there's too much kind of things could potentially go wrong a little too much for my comfort but if you're going out for the day Plug it in uh, before you leave. You know, with these new trucks, all of them almost have like that little 12 volt plug in in your truck. I'm assuming you could plug in your battery as you're driving out to the lake in case you forgot, or you just want to top it up, kind of a thing. Uh, so the batteries shouldn't be an issue. Uh, with battery motors, too, or electric motors, I should say, uh, they seem to have just a ton of torque. So even if you have a 10-inch auger, it really it should shouldn't be an issue whatsoever to chew through the ice and get the job done. Um, I don't I don't know how long those batteries last for. I haven't heard anything bad about them. I also haven't really heard anything good about them either. Uh, so for that, you know, if you could drill. I think some of them say you can drill up to 100 holes on one battery charge, but that's also kind of like a marketing thing. Like if it's plus 5 and you have 6 inches of ice that you have to drill through, yeah, it should be able to drill 100 holes. But because we live where we live up here in the north, if it's minus 20 and you have whatever, 30 inches of ice to drill through, eh, are you going to get? 20 holes, 10, 15, 30, 50, you know, I, I really don't know. And then with that being said, too, if you are in a remote spot, then you got to bring something to charge the batteries with. Uh, but again, if you're doing something close by, I, I can't really see an issue with them. Uh, if the batteries do start to kind of die a little bit, fire up your truck, plug her in, you know, you probably got to warm up anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it uh yeah those ones too the cost to buy them is extremely expensive i think i seen one of those ions those little green ones and it was like eight or nine hundred dollars compared to a, a gas or propane powered one that was like an eskimo i think maybe yeah it might have been eskimo anyways they were like that 500 bucks kind of a deal. So you could almost buy two gas-powered augers for the price of one battery one. So get, uh, getting started, it's going to be a lot of money. But in the long run, really to charge one of the batteries, it's probably going to cost you pennies on your electricity bill. Uh, so in the long run, it might pay for itself. Uh but uh, how long does that little motor last for before it burns out? You know, so there's there is some pros and cons kind of a thing. Uh, I don't know. For me, I'm just really biased against that uh, the electric augers. To me, there's just too much that can go wrong with them. Even if you drill a hole, you set it down on the ice while you get everything set up. 
you know, there's times out here where if you have a bottle of water, you set it down, you set up your tent, you bring everything in, you go and you grab your water, you go take a drink, and she's pretty well three quarters of the way froze. So if it, if you do that to your battery for your ice auger, and then you go drill a hole, and you pull the trigger on it, and she just goes, and dies, yeah, I don't know. I'd have a hard time not getting pretty upset over that. But, uh, yeah, so that's augers. So, you know, with the augers, too, it, it's kind of like everything else. It's personal preference, how much money you want to spend. How often are you going to go and do you actually need it or not? You know, basically, if you're going after big fish or you just like bigger holes for whatever reason, I would highly suggest one of the power augers. Uh, I don't even really know if they make hand crank 8 or 10 inch ice augers. Uh, but if they do, good luck to you with those ones. They're, uh, I'm assuming they'd be pretty hard to crank. This podcast is brought to you by Rampage Coffee. Rampage Coffee is crafted in micro batches to produce a premium quality coffee that is just not possible any other way. Step up your coffee game and get amped with premium quality freshly roasted coffee. Right now I'm waiting on the sampler bundle where you get to try all four blends for around $20. It comes with a full force premium espresso, code black dark roast, riot medium roast, the C4 extreme caffeine blend, and it also comes with some pretty cool looking stickers. If you head over to rampagecoffee.com and use our promo code Buick, you'll receive 10% off. That's rampagecoffee.com, promo code B-U-I-C-K to get 10% off and get amped with Rampage Coffee. Then I guess one of the next things you'd have to really consider is your ice fishing rods. Uh, Really, you have kind of three categories there. You have cheap, expensive, and you have free. Uh one of my last podcasts, I was talking about the free version quite a bit because I was talking about kind of where we started from and where we are today. And, you know, before we would just show up with a spool of line and we'd go out and cut out, cut a willow and use a willow as our, uh, as our fishing poles. And I mean, we still do that today. Uh, when I'm going after like those big pike and stuff, I had my rod with me. But for the most part, I just used a like a one inch willow, sometimes inch and a half, two inch willow, that was you know whatever twenty inches long. Tie your string up in the middle, and even the string, if you just use like that black fifty pound test line, that works pretty good. Uh, some people have gone as far as using like real thin rope almost or butcher twine. I've seen that. Uh, but yeah, like to get started, like really, if you want to take the free version, again, a one to two inch willow, that's 20 inches, tie your line up in the center of your stick, use enough to get you down to the bottom, and then maybe just a little bit more, you know, whatever, 10 extra feet kind of thing, and you're fishing, like you don't actually need an ice fishing rod, uh, but for me, what I use is just those cheap rod and reel combos. Uh, they run thirty to fifty dollars. Sometimes you can get like kind of the two for one specials kind of a thing. There's two rods that come with a bag and two reels, and they're around like sixty dollars, kind of a kind of a deal, sixty to hundred bucks, I guess. But uh, yeah, that's. I mean, it's it's very simple, straightforward stuff. Uh, you, you know, you you don't really need overly too much. Uh, a nice rod is nice to have, same with a nice reel. Uh, but do you need it? Most likely not. Uh, and again, it's just like everything else. Where are you going fishing? What are you targeting? And how often are you going to go? If you're like me and your main fish that you go after are small little stocked rainbow trout and brook trout, you are not going to need an Abu Garcia ice fishing rod 
with a Fluger reel. Uh, you can very easily oh, plug in the laptop. Alright, we're back. Had to plug in the laptop there. I guess I forgot to do that. She's almost dead. Uh, but yeah, what I was saying about ice fishing rods. You don't need anything big and fancy and expensive if you're going after the fish that I go after. Uh, you know, when you read into it, you know, some of them are, whatever, they'll say seven ball bearings and this and that, yada, yada. Like, don't, you don't need to really go into too many detail over that stuff. Uh, a basic rod and reel combo that you get from Walmart or Canadian Tire or your uh, sports store there that's that's all you need uh if you're going after bigger fish like big lake trout or big uh pike or something like that or some really aggressive walleye that that'll dive deep or you're fishing in deep water then yeah sure it might be worth your time to get uh, a better rod and a, a better reel you know especially like the drag systems and the flex on your rod and how tough they are or like a real sensitive tip kind of a thing uh, but that's when you start to get real into the nitty-gritty kind of the fine details but uh, for the most part if you're just the kind of weekend warrior you're not overly too uh, worried about things yeah, I, I like don't sweat it just get whatever's sitting on the shelf put on some Berkeley trialine 10 pound test whether it's the regular stuff for the ice fishing line it really doesn't matter. Uh, again, like you're not a pro fisherman, you're not a pro angler, you're not sponsored or anything like that. You're just going out for the weekend uh, to catch a couple of fish and maybe eat one or two, kind of a thing. Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't put too much thought uh, behind that, overly too much. Uh, you know, the branding and marketing side of things. Uh, man, companies spend millions of dollars. To make it sound like you need this stuff. But at the end of the day. We used to get it done with a willow. And $5 a fishing line. You know what I mean? So yeah. Don't buy into that overly too much. Because in the end you're just going to get burnt. And you're going to have in an extremely expensive ice fishing rod and reel. For something that you use you know. Four times every six months, if that. So, uh, yeah, I would recommend just kind of be smart about it. But, I mean, also, if you just want to have a really nice rod, man, go out and buy it. You know, I'm not going to judge you for it. If you show up with a Fenwick and a Fluger to go ice fishing, cool. <laughs> uh, then there's also uh, tip-ups. Uh, depending on where you are, you might not be allowed to use tip-ups uh, the way that they're meant to be used. Uh, for us in the North Peace region here, uh, legally we cannot use them the way that they're designed. Uh, so a tip-up is basically a set line where you have it set out on the ice wherever and you just wait for that flag to come up and then you run over and you grab it and you pull it up. Uh, for us, we're only allowed one rod per person. Uh, unless you're in a boat if you're in a boat you're allowed two rods per person so i don't know if you want to go ice fishing drag a boat on the ice and uh sit in there then you can have two rods <laughs> uh but yeah i still use tip-ups from time to time uh mainly just when i'm doing my overnight fishing trips uh if i'm in my tent and i'm cooking supper or something like that you know my back will be to the hole quite a bit just you know paying attention to cooking kind of a thing so instead of having my rod sitting there and then having a fish potentially pull my rod down into the water i'll either use a stick and do it the old-fashioned way or i'll pull out one of my tip-ups and i'll have that set up and then you just kind of look back once in a while see if the flag is up or down if it's down you don't have a fish if it's up chances are there's fish on there uh but with the tip-ups there's a, it seems to be a big market now, or it's a growing market uh, for tip-ups. You know, everybody says they got the latest and greatest ones and yada yada, but 
again, it's kind of like what kind of fish you're going after, how much line is on there, how deep you're going. Because uh, really a tip-up, there's no drag system. It's just a wheel that free spins that has a bunch of line on the spool. And your flag comes down, there's a little T. When a fish pulls on the spool, it spins, the T comes off, flag comes up. And you know, you're not fighting the fish with a rod and reel. It you know you have that black, fifty pound braided ice fishing line or whatever it is that's on there, so you're just yanking them up by hand. Uh, so basically, you know if you're gonna be in a hundred feet of water, you're gonna want one with a huge spool so you can actually reach the bottom. Plus, when they grab it, they're gonna want to run, so you're gonna want to have a hundred feet plus probably about fifty feet of extra line so it has to hold like 150 feet of that thick black line where if you're going to be fishing in charlie lake where the deepest part of the lake is 12 meters which is what 30 some odd feet maybe 40 feet uh you don't need anything overly too big plus when if they ever do hit the end of the line you're going to want the platform of the actual tip up to be thick enough where it's not just going to bend and break kind of thing but the chances of that happening when you're using just a regular old tip up uh in a shallow lake is extremely extremely small because i think they come with 100 feet of line on the tip ups like the typical tip ups where the spools kind of like an inch and a half wide kind of a thing uh so yeah so when it comes to to your tip ups for us, if you're gonna use them, you have to use them very smart. You like don't be poaching, don't be setting them up the way that tip ups are supposed to be set, because for you up here, it's gonna be illegal if you go. Uh, was it seven A in the Peace Region? I think you're allowed set lines over there, but don't quote me on that. If you are, then yeah, use a tip up the way that it's supposed to be. If you're fishing. On the left side of the point, you know, maybe set up a tip up on the far side of that point or on the tip of a rock point or whatever, or eh, just different depths kind of a thing. Really target uh, the lake and kind of go after it. But if you are looking for tip ups, again, it's basically how big of a spool that you need, how deep of water that you're going to be fishing in. And that's kind of about it. And then whether or not it's actually legal or not for you to use them. Uh, and then when it comes to hooks. Man, hooks and lures. They... You could talk all day long about hooks and lures. And you wouldn't even scratch the surface. Uh, for me, because I, again, I target trout. Uh, you know, rainbow trout and brook trout. I I use a size eight J hook with bait holders on it, a little split shot, sometimes a bobber, but not very often. I have them in the tackle box, but I don't remember the last time I've actually put a bobber on my line when I'm ice fishing. Uh, so for me, you know, I go out, I buy the American Eagle Gamagatsu. Uh, Mustad, basically whatever is available at Canadian Tire, that's a size 8 bait hook. Uh, sometimes I'll get size 10. I have a few packs of those, but I, I don't think I've ever really opened them. Uh, just because the, the size of the fish that we go after are too small to really get a size 10 in their mouth comfortably, so you're not going to catch nearly as much. So the size 8 with a little piece of shrimp, and uh, you're off to the races. Uh, if you're going after uh, lake trout and ling or burbot, whatever you want to call them, uh, they seem to like really big white tube jigs. Uh, some people say if they glow in the dark, they work phenomenal. And again, you have to check with your regulations where you live, whether that's legal or not, because it's... Kind of sort of technically illuminated. Some places you're allowed a light within 8 inches of your hook. I think is what our 
regulations are up here. I I don't don't quote me on that a hundred percent. You'd have to look into that. So up here, you might be able to get away with the uh, uh, glow in the dark jigs, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. You just you'd have to read the regulations. Uh, but other than that, for lake trout, some like spoons, some like just the regular old J hook with the with the lake trout though you're able to use much bigger uh hooks uh and again whether you want to use artificial or real bait uh with bait too you you got to be careful with bait but we'll touch on that once we're done with the the hooks and lures uh but yeah and then when it comes to like walleye and pike and well basically any predator fish I think that's why lake trout like jigs is they they basically like anything that moves. Uh, so for like walleye, pike, and lake trout, you can pretty well combine them all into one category as predators. And you can use like those airplane hooks where they're, they look like a little fish, but they got wings either up by the head or off its tail. And with those, you bring them up nice and slow. And then you just drop them. When you drop them, they, as they're going down, they do like a real big wide swoop. Uh, I think on those, you can look at the different size of fins on them. And then on the package, it should tell you how much they'll actually swim around. I think some of them are just kind of lazy or others. They'll, they'll go as far out as they can kind of thing. They'll do like a massive circle kind of a three foot circle but again that's also how much line and stuff there is for it to kind of play with uh there's jigging spoons uh what is it this is it swedish pimple or scottish pimple something like that those things they seem to work pretty good uh they're just like the airplane ones where you you bring it up and when you drop it those they kind of go down and they they kind of flutter as they're going down, uh, it kind of moves the same way a regular spoon moves, but with the regular spoon, it has to have the forward momentum to get it to do its flutter and its little dance kind of thing, where with jigging spoons, it does it going downwards. Uh, I've also heard people use just regular spoons. Uh, apparently, it works in Charlie Lake, but I'm not going to try it there again. I've tried it enough times but uh yeah like there's a lot of fish that they just kind of strike whatever moves and it's whatever shiny and looks good to them at that time so uh yeah the old five of diamonds blue and silver spoons uh i don't think crocodiles would work all overly too good in the winter time uh the scottish no swedish pimple i'm sure it's what it's called You'd have to look that one up. Uh, there's also uh, jigging wraps that you can use. And again, those are like rapalas. Uh, but I think they're they're weighted, I think, is how it works. So they sink to the bottom. And then as you're sitting there jigging, every time you pull up on it, just the momentum of it coming up, it has little fins. So it kind of swims around as you're jigging it up kind of a thing. Uh, but... Yeah, when it comes to hooks, oh man, there's just so many. Uh, some have feathers, some have marabou, some have little bells and whistles on them, some like rattle kind of a thing. Some are shiny, some are dull. You know, the best thing to do for, for your hooks is just talk to your the local people. And just kind of get an idea of what works. Uh, some places, you know, the hot color is pink. The You can go to the lake, you know, whatever, 10 miles up the road from it. And there, pink, you'll never catch a fish at all in pink. And there, it's white. Uh, you know, so it's, you definitely, if you're going to be a traveling fisherman, you're going to need a lot of different styles and types of hooks and stuff. And then when it comes to bait, you have some places don't allow any sort of bait whatsoever. Uh, 
some places only let you use artificial bait. Some places, uh, like up here, you can't use any sort of fin fish whatsoever. Uh, but you can use uh, shrimp uh, because it's not a fin fish. It's a shellfish, so you're allowed to use shrimp up here. Uh, we can use marshmallows. We can use corn. Uh, you can use the rubber uh, rubber baits, like all the Berkleys and stuff like that. And again, it changes from lake to lake. Uh, I know at Ingle Lake, shrimp work amazing. Uh, lots of people use corn. I don't. I don't really like using corn. I just. I never have liked it, but uh, you can give her a go. Uh, some places uh, marshmallows work. You can buy the little itty bitty marshmallows. Uh, sometimes. You get like the infused ones or whatever. And apparently ones that are like cheese or garlic. For some reason, trout love them. I haven't tried it. But apparently it works like a hot damn. On some trout is the garlic marshmallows. Uh, another thing you can do like your own concoction. Like on the ocean we use butt juice. That we inject into our herring when we're going after uh, uh, ling and uh, halibut. Flounder like it, dogfish like it, rockfish like it. So, I mean, really, if you're going after a burbot, why not squirt some of that on, uh, on one of your big white jigs and see if it works? It's just kind of fish oil and aniseed and, uh, I don't know, it's a big concoction of stuff it's kind of like worcester of the fish world uh so yeah maybe give that a go that might work that might be the ticket to get more fish because it leaves a nice trail of scent out there and uh you never know uh give her a go and if you do let me know uh, i would love to know if that actually works or not same thing if you're using it for pike or walleye uh it'd be pretty neat to see if it works or not um yeah, so when it comes to hooks, you just kind of, yeah, there's so many different types and styles. You just talk to the the local people and kind of see what works and try experimenting. And unfortunately, it is pretty expensive if you want to experiment. You know, it's, it's pretty easy to go into the sports store or Canadian Tire or wherever it is that you pick up your stuff at and, uh, you know, I've easily went in for a pack of hooks and spent 150 bucks going, oops. But uh, <laughs> it is what it is. I got kind of one of everything that's ever made under the sun. And uh, I try them out and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And then the next lake, the things that didn't work all of a sudden do work. And I, yeah, it's uh, it's a gamble. Uh, but then after that, uh, you know, the new new age thing is all the fancy electronics. Now you got the flashers, depth sounders, underwater cameras. And uh, I can honestly say that I don't have enough experience with these to really kind of give you an honest opinion. Uh, other than uh, I've seen a couple of underwater cameras. One worked phenomenal in clean water. Uh, and then one work just terrible. Uh, if, if you have them in extremely clean water, they seem to work absolutely great. And they are really cool to use. You can see the fish coming in. You can see the reaction, you know, it, uh, it, it works great as an aid or as a tool to help you kind of figure out the species that you're going after a little bit better. Uh, or figure out the lake kind of a thing you know some places uh the rainbow are extremely lazy they like a hook just sitting there and they come up and they sniff it they kind of grab it and then they kind of nibble on it and then you gotta set the hook and bring them in where other places it's a rainbow trout it comes in and it just slams that hook so it's kind of neat if you have an underwater camera you can see what the fish is doing whether like the hook just kind of sitting there or if they like to see a little bit of an action, like a constant jig. Or if they like it when you do the big jigs. Uh, it's it's pretty neat. 
And then you can also, you can kind of see some obstacles if it's within range of the camera kind of a thing. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think the underwater cameras, if you're in a place where it's extremely clean water and uh, it, you kind of want it for, like, the cool factor or the neat factor where you can just watch fish, then absolutely, they're, they're pretty cool to have. I'd buy one. Uh, unfortunately for us up here, our water's just, they're not quite clean enough. Uh, we had somebody try one at Ingle Lake. You couldn't see six inches in front of the camera. And that was with and without the lights on. And I think the one had an LED and you, you just couldn't see nothing. We end up pulling the hook up and just putting it right like within a couple of inches of the camera and then you could see it but in anything past that it was just a bunch of floaty junk kind of thing that you could see and it was it was not worth it uh but yeah if you have nice clean water totally i would absolutely buy one uh when it comes to depth sounders aka fish finders uh if you're using them to find uh, what depth that you're fishing in and possible drop-off points or rock points and obstacles in the water, then it's worth it. Uh, if you're going to buy a fish finder to find fish, it is a complete and utter waste of time and money. Uh, with us, we use the fish finder on the ocean quite a bit. Uh, but you're able to see where the rock points are. You're able to see bait balls. You can see whales. And you can see porpoises. Uh, when it comes to fish. It picks up on whatever's kind of floating in the water. So do they actually see the fish? Maybe. Sometimes they do. But for the most part. It's just going to tell you how deep you're in. Uh, and potentially where a drop off is like you can look at a map and it'll say here it's 10 feet here it's 15 then all of a sudden here it drops right down to 30 and if you want to fish right on that drop you can drill a hole put your depth sounder in there and go nope we're still at whatever 15 feet go another 10 feet drill a hole put her in there here's the drop point okay let's go right in the middle and that's where we're gonna fish then they work phenomenal but if you're gonna use a fish finder to quote-unquote fine fish, uh, you're you're wasting your time unless you're going after great big bait balls kind of a thing. Uh, if you're in a massive lake where there are bait balls, then yeah, I could uh, I would understand buying one, but for the amount of money that those things cost, uh, I I can't really see it. Uh, those flashers though, those things are pretty neat. They uh, those will actually see fish when they come in. Uh, if you look at those, it's like a it's like a big ring, and you'll see little LED or not LED, but you'll see little lights. So basically, once as you see a solid light, that's where the bottom is, and then when you drop your hook, you can actually see little strips of light coming down as your hook's going down. You can sit there. And then when you move your hook, it'll pick up on that movement kind of a thing. And it'll be a little light bar. little light that comes up and says at what depth it's at. So you can be sitting there, if you're in 30 feet of water, you know, at the 30 mark from there to whatever it goes up to. It'll be a solid line. So and when you're, say you're jigging at 20 feet and 30 feet of water. At 20, you'll see a little light bar there. That's where your hook is. And then if a fish comes up, all of a sudden you'll see another light coming in. So that actually does detect fish coming in. Uh, so if you're... Uh, even with that, though, it tells you when a fish is there. It, you can't get actual proof that's going after your, your uh, hook until you're sitting there jigging and you can see it slowly come up to roughly where your hook is and then even then you know it doesn't guarantee you that you're going to catch fish i think that's a problem that 
a lot of people have is they kind of they buy this equipment they show up with a box load of electronics and fishing gear and all that crap and they think that they're gonna catch the fish because they spend a lot of money when really it you're you're gonna catch fish if you're a good fisherman uh if you use them you know if you use them to kind of educate yourself if you see a mark come up on a flasher and you're sitting there jigging softly and then the mark goes away well maybe they don't like that so the next time there's a mark on that flasher don't jig at all see what happens if it goes away well they don't like that and again if you see a mark come up jig like a maniac see if that spooks them or if it puts them into a feeding frenzy and they come up and they actually start to chase your hook because if they come up again you'll see the little light bar come up on the screen and uh you can kind of educate yourself that way um you know for for the prices though uh man it's it's a lot of money to buy something just for a cool factor or just to kind of try it out that's why i haven't bought any yet uh i would like to try a flasher uh but man for the price i can't justify spending i think some of the cheaper ones are around like 250 300 dollars and for me like i just i can't justify that that's that's you know almost a truck payment really so for me it'd be kind of nifty to have one but again i'm going after rainbows and brook trout <laughs> <laughs> so it's back right from to square one uh whether do you actually need this stuff or not for me i don't uh if i was uh, if i was targeting specific fish maybe but even then as long as you just fish long enough you're gonna figure them out anyways uh so for me it's hard for me to spend the money but if you want to uh you know all the power to you let me know how it works out if uh if that flasher uh makes sense to you and uh you kind of took a little notes there or whatever on how i was what i was saying there to kind of educate yourself <clears throat> if it works out uh let me know uh some of those uh depth sounders too like the fish finders you can get them like the ones that we have in our ocean boat. Uh, it's the depth sounder and the GPS and maps and all that stuff all combined into one. Uh, so if you're fishing on like a bigger lake, it would be kind of cool to have that. Uh, especially some of them, they come in like a nice little carrying case with a big rechargeable battery. So you have a ton of runtime. And then you can also mark on the map like what spots of the lake that you tried fishing you can put little notes in there and stuff like that or you can just write whatever big fish on this point no fish over here and a few bites over there or whatever you know you can actually kind of keep track of where you've been fishing and it'd be pretty pinpoint accurate on where you're fishing because all gps uh so that would be uh that would be pretty neat if i was kind of traveling a little bit more and doing uh going to different bigger lakes kind of thing but for the most part when i go to our lakes around here they're not big extravagant lakes uh they're basically swamps and uh yeah it's it's pretty hard to forget where you've been and uh what works for you so for me again i don't personally need that stuff uh but even well even like charlie lake if you're cruising around there and there's a lot of different little drop-offs and rock faces and stuff like that uh so like bigger lakes yeah it would it might be worth it just for finding out where those depths uh like the drop-offs are and also using the the map combos uh but then there's also like the cheaper versions of the depth sounders where it's basically just a handheld thing with a pole and you just put it down your hole and it tells you kind of how deep you are but 
uh, yeah, it, it's all personal preference and what you actually need. So, uh, yeah, the the GPS and maps ones, they would be pretty neat to have. But again, the the price would be, uh, it's a lot of money for those ones. And I'm not ready to spend that kind of money on one of them. Uh, the good thing, though, with all that stuff, well, pretty well everything that I've talked about today, is you can get them at, you know, whatever. Walmart, Canadian Tire, Sportsman Warehouse, Cabela's your local mom and pa shops kind of a thing. Uh, and everywhere you go, you should be able to find somebody that you can talk to about this kind of stuff. Uh, maybe not so much in the big retail stores. Uh, you know, they kind of hire whoever and say, yeah, you're in sports. You know, good luck over there. Uh, but the actual mom and pa shops especially and like the designated uh, like Sportsman Warehouse and Cabela's and stuff. Those guys, they should know what they're talking about. Uh, but again, y you never know what these, uh, yeah. <laughs> but at least, you know, you can talk to them, get kind of a feel for what it is that you need, what your needs are, how much money you have to spend. Uh, you can spend a lot of money on one thing. Or you can spend a lot of money on a bunch of things and have a complete and full setup. Uh, and again, it's all personal preference. What's your budget? Where you're going? What you're going after? If you're a guy like me, where you're going after rainbows and brook trout and small lakes, and you want to be comfortable, I would suggest uh, uninsulated tent with a propane heater, uh, cheap rod and reel setup a couple packs of j hooks some split shots maybe a little thing or baby shrimp and i don't know maybe grab one of the you know garlic marshmallow things or berkeley whatever and give that a go and see what happens uh if you're gonna be fishing great big huge lakes or you travel a lot and you're doing a bunch of overnight camping and stuff Maybe spend the money. Get a otter resort with two propane heaters. Get a cot, sleeping bag. Get the GPS uh, maps and uh, depth sounder uh, combo. You know, spend the money on it and uh, really enjoy yourself. But, you know, at, at the end of the day... Just because you have this equipment doesn't make you a good fisherman. Uh, being a good fisherman makes you a good fisherman. Uh, if you catch the fish, you catch the fish. And you're going to get them whether you have this fancy equipment or not. Like I said, we started out with a stick and string. And we had a phenomenal time. Uh, also, you know, it, it's it's not about the equipment when you're going out. You know, it's about having fun, getting outdoors. Uh, taking a breath of fresh air, get away from the city and the the panic and anxiety that kind of sets in on some people. You know, just get away from that stuff for a day or two. Get outside, enjoy yourself, you know, bring something to make hot chocolate with, cook some hot dogs. You know, if there's enough ice, you know, if there's like 20 inches or so of ice on the lake, heck, bring your truck out there, teach your kid how to drive. You know, if there's nobody around... Get them in the front seat. This is the brake. This is the gas. Let's drive. You know, teach them how to drive out there. Have fun. Make it comfortable and enjoyable for not only yourself, but for everyone that you're bringing with you. And uh, you'll definitely be going back and doing it again. And, uh, yeah, guys. So, focus on uh, just enjoy your time outdoors. And uh, maybe don't take it so serious. Just because somebody says that you need this new latest and greatest stuff, say, well, you know, that Sheldon character, he started off with uh, a willow and five bucks of Berkeley line, and <laughs> that's all you need. But anyways, guys, I think I'm going to cut her off here. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for watching. Uh, if you are just listening to this on the podcast, you want to see the video version of it, uh, check us out on youtube at buick outdoors uh there's 
a podcast playlist and now I'm also working on doing podcast clips so if you don't want to listen to the entire podcast I'm gonna have things broken down into little sections too unfortunately it might be a little bit annoying for some people because there's gonna be uh, several videos every week going up with these podcast clips as I'm trying just to kind of keep up with them uh, but anyways uh, that's that, and then also, if you are watching this on YouTube and you want to listen to it, uh, we're on basically every single major podcast platform, so you can find us on Yahoo, Google, Amazon, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, what's the other one, Comcast or something like that i seen, uh, Podbean, Basically, anywhere that you listen to a podcast, if you just search the Buick Outdoors podcast, you should be able to find us. Uh, but anyways, guys, again, I want to thank you for watching and thank you for listening. Uh, leave us a like, comment, give us a rating. And, uh, hey guys, see you on the next one.